so five how y'all feeling <laughs> you know what y'all i just want to start off this entire episode by saying that content creation it's super difficult and honestly i think it's even more difficult for me because i am a creative in life it just doesn't really happen so well when you're not terribly inspired to do stuff. But you know what? I am still here with you and I am presenting content from my whole soul. You know, and I also want to just say publicly, completely unrelated, uh, I think I'm just going to start off every episode sharing just random thoughts that I have. Um, but ultimately, I am just really sorely displeased of the fact that there will not be a second season of Lovecraft Country. Mm. Let's get into it, sad face. Mm. Like, how HBO just gonna give life and snatch it right back? Like, I don't understand because I was getting powerful, historical, magical, mysterious, and just unapologetically Black vibes. You know, like all of that wrapped into one multi-layered experience. Mm -hmm. And granted, you know, Michael K. Williams, he did pass, rest in love to him. I think that his character was, you know, one among very many prominent roles throughout the first season. I mean, his work on the film, it provided insight into the LGBT experience and how, you know, when coupled with trauma and abuse, you know, how that can manifest and affect relationship with self and, you know, the potential for that, you know, trauma to project onto like your family you know, and into to generations. So like, seriously, I think that, you know, this show, it unpacked a lot. It unpacked a lot and it introduced a lot. Like, seriously, we talk about Black people using magic to confront systemic racism and white people couldn't do nothing about it, which I love, absolutely love. But you know what? That was my rant moving right along. Welcome, friends. Um, so to those of you who are new and just join me, welcome. I am glad to have you. To those of you who have returned because you just can't get enough of my sultry voice. Thank you and welcome back. I know y'all see that title, so let's go ahead on and dive into what that means. Finally, a person who is not of color, a non-POC, that gets it. Now, what do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? And I kind of have, you know, a little story. I'm going to kind of walk you through, you know, where I got that from. So I told y'all in a previous episode that I be reading, you know, and reading, of course, it's a, it's a common form of inspiration for me. So again, like how I said, you know, content creation is difficult because I just have to be inspired, y'all. Like, it's science. It's science, you know. And so for my inspiration, I often turn to books. You know, I turn to documentaries. You know, I turn to art. You know, I paint in my spare time. But, you know, the title for this episode really just, it came from a book. Um, and reading books can, you know, take me out of the depths of a miserable day. So I really thought it fitting to just kind of share with you one of the more impactful nonfiction books um, that I picked up recently. Um, so this book is entitled White Fragility, 
and it was written by Robin D'Angelo, who is indeed a white lady. Now, mm, here we go. So I know I probably got some people like, mm, uh, why are you saying that she white? Like, that's not important. Uh, okay, pause. Let me just start with the fact that when you're referencing systemic racism, and yes, this book does exactly that. When you're referencing systemic racism, it's important to acknowledge the fact that our daily experiences shape our perception of everything. So that's just a general concept. But in relation to systemic racism, you know, Robin D'Angelo, as a white woman, you know, she has the advantage of never confronting racism and what it means if she chose not to. Now, this woman has dedicated her entire career to kind of unpacking um, racial tensions um, and what it means to white people in communities of color. Uh, and I admire that work. <laughs> I do. Um, but, you know, it, it would be ridiculous, you know, for me to sit here and say, in my opinion, of course, that when you're referencing race relations, you have to reference, you know, who the information is coming from, first and foremost. Uh, and I mean, just generally speaking, white people can exist in spaces without needing to think of themselves racially. Uh, and that, of course, is a privilege that people of color don't typically have because, you know, whether you believe it or not, you know, our lives and circumstances are often shaped uh, by how we look and by our race. So, uh, I mean, just to add to that, we, we don't live in a post-racial society. So yes, her whiteness and her acknowledgement and attestment to the privilege that she has is very important. It is very important. Uh, and so behold, our title for today. Uh, now as a quick disclaimer, yes, there are several, there are multiple forms of racism, you know, um, that exist. Uh, but for the focus of this podcast, I really just want to focus on the tensions between white and black people. Yes, people. <laughs> um, so, um, oh my God, my wig, my wig has arrived. One moment. All right. Thank you for bearing with me, y'all. I can't even lie. I ordered a wig like a week and a half ago. I live overseas and you know, you gotta wait forever to get your stuff. So when my when my hair arrived, I definitely got excited. Uh, and honestly, I'm probably gonna talk about wigs in a different episode, uh, but you know, jumping right back into the subject for today. Um, but yeah, so like I said, you know, when you're talking about systemic racism, you really have to consider where it's coming from. So I actually came across this book um, because it's just as a reaction to the recent murders of black men, women and children. Um, and I noticed the shift in my willingness to discuss systemic racism on an open platform, even though I'm discussing it on an open platform now. Uh, but, you know, Oof, I'd say oof, from about like leading up to about a year and a half ago, you know, my initial reaction to kind of serving the gap, right, would be to, you know, try again, just try to to be a bridge for those who didn't understand racism. Like I was that black friend who was super willing. I'm going to give you a whole history lesson. I'm going to offer perspective, you know, and that was the person that I that was the person that I was. Um and, you know, after 
these series of murders, you know, my reaction to openly discussing racism was different. You know, I noticed the shift within myself. Um, and so I started reading this book as an opportunity to kind of reflect on what that shift meant. Um, and honestly, in hindsight, you know, being a bridge for whew, for one person, for everybody, it's, it's just super unrealistic. Um, because there's also the fact that, like, historically speaking, Black people have always been on the front lines leading the cause uh, for the end of racism. Like, we really have. And in theory, it makes sense. Like, why wouldn't you lead a cause for things that are affecting your life, that are affecting your housing situation, that affect your education, um, that affect your health, that affect your family, that affect so many aspects of your life. Like, why wouldn't you champion for the things that you need to thrive? It makes sense. Um, and I think my initial introduction, you know, to why the shift was necessary. I remember in undergrad, you know, when I was taking history classes, um, because yes, y'all, like I had to, woo, I had to take it like three times. I failed two of them things and and I was in my third American history class, and it was taught by um, Dr. Matthew Bowman. And I remember, you know, how I felt going to his class because I was like, man, I'm going to learn something today. You know, it's just American history, but I, I, I felt like he taught it in such a way that it was compelling. It was compelling. And it was really a narrative that, um, you know, he kind of carved out a different perspective. You know, we talked about the civil rights movement and how <clears throat> the, the methods used to gain traction uh, and publicize the atrocities of Black American life. Like, it was this huge sacrifice. Uh, but it was in that course that I realized it was also a strategy. Uh, it was a strategy to appeal to the empathy of white people around the world who weren't living in the South and had the potential to believe that racialized hate against Black people had gone too far. So when you think about it, like Martin Luther King, you know, you know, these these various marches, these various, you know, peaceful protests, you know, it was a strategy like, hey, this person is just sitting at a lunch counter. You're spitting at them. You are <clears throat> throwing food in their face. You know, they're getting arrested. People are walking down the street, you know, and being attacked by dogs. People are getting hosed down on the street. Like, yes, it was a sacrifice, 100 percent. But, you know, I think that's why Martin Luther King received a lot of criticism, because it was a strategy to appeal to the empathy of white people. And I think that's kind of where, you know, if, if we pay attention to the civil rights movement and, and, and the revolution movement, you know, following that, you know, there was this kind of divergence because it's like, okay, you're appealing to the empathy, but the empathy is not there, right? Like that was, that was the belief. So, you know, not to, not to stray too far off, but, what I'm essentially getting at is that there's been this overabundance of sacrifice of Black people trying to paint a narrative that has been portrayed so many different ways, you know, and the civil rights movement is just an example, but there are so many other examples of the struggle for, struggle for freedom that come before it. So, you know, thinking back on myself, it's like, can I really continue to put myself in this position? Can I really continue to, to fill the gap, to take on the responsibility when there are so many opportunities for people to seek that information for themselves? You know, and that's exactly why I really enjoyed uh, D'Angelo's book, because, you know, while that, that theory was embedded in my head, 
you know, whenever I was taking this American history class, this book really helped to just kind of really shift my perspective and verbalize the responsibility, like whose responsibility is it really to acknowledge systemic racism? You know, and, and her book places the responsibility essentially on white people. And, and that's why I appreciate it because, you know, as the person who I've, I've literally, I've had encounters, you know, trying to explain to people, you know, trying to really break stuff down and just being rejected. It's like, ah, you know, like how many times can I really do that before I just get tired? You know, so now I'm that person who will literally reinforce accountability when discussing racial politics. And I'm not saying that I refuse to talk about racism, but the fact is, y'all, and I've alluded to it already, it's too much information out here to not understand, you know, like pick up a book, watch a documentary, read an article. There is so much information. Now, of course, it, I, in my opinion, it's more readily available than it used to be. Um, but there, there is so much opportunity to understand racism and to understand the role that it plays in society and how, even though, yes, it's not this overt system of hatred, you know, um, it, it, man it has manifested and it has been concealed and it has been hidden, but it is still very persistent and still very real. And I'm hopefully that's not like an oversimplification, but, you know, White Fragility is a book written by a white person for white people to understand why it's so hard to talk about racism. Now, I did not make that up. That is literally what's on the cover of the book. And granted, I'm not white, and I read the book to understand more about my own racial attitude. Uh, and I'm not trying to promote the book for ratings or anything, but I really just wanted to take the opportunity, you know, to celebrate a white person who, in my opinion, got it right. And it gives me hope. Honestly, it really does, y'all. It gives me hope when a white person has a genuine understanding of the complexity that people of color carry every single day. Like, you understand why I shift my voice when I pick up the phone. Oh, hi. Yes. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Like, you understand why I do that. You understand why when you invite me somewhere, I'm really going to ask, like, okay, are there, are, are there any other Black people that are going to be in attendance? Like, you understand why I do that. You understand that while I am speaking, on my experience, I'm also not a monolith for Black culture. You know, understanding something, you know, and having that embedded into the thought process, that is so powerful. So powerful. And personally, y'all, I, I love it when people take the words out of my mouth. I think it, it makes me feel seen. And more importantly, it makes me feel understood, which is... Hey, y'all, that's a pillar for human connection because God knows there are an innumerable amount of experiences where I have not felt seen or understood in the presence of white people. Uh, you know, as I'm sitting here thinking about my experiences now, you know, my days in undergrad uh, as an art major, you know, I was actively painting and creating work for my senior show. And if y'all are familiar, you know, with me, uh, I was working on a series that focused on um, African-American identity. Um, and my goal was to kind of highlight, you know, the African-American experience um, and, and, and just trying to unpack, like, what, what is that? What is Americanness? What is Africanness? And how does that define how I navigate, you know, in society? How does that define 
how I understand myself, you know, like, where does that, where does that put me, you know, whenever I'm trying to talk about my history, you know, um, I just thought it was kind of contradicting because I'm not from Africa, but I'm African, you know, like, what, what does that mean? You know, I wanted to really kind of understand that concept where it came from, because if you'll know, you know, there have been these terms to identify, you know, first we was, I don't know if I can say it, but y'all know what I mean. We was in words, you know, then we were Negroes, um, then we were black and then we were African-American. It's like, there are so many different ways to identify, you know, a black person, um, so I just really wanted to understand that. And I remember, you know, unpacking these concepts, you know, and really just spending time with it. Um, and I had to present my information, you know, and this is senior show, you know, this is like, I, I had to do this to graduate. Um, and I remember how I felt presenting my concepts to an all white faculty. Uh, I, and I remember being celebrated, you know, for having created a large body of work it's always nice, you know, if, if you're an art student, it's always nice to have more work than you need, you know, than not have enough. So I was definitely celebrated for that because I always work my ass off. Um, but, you know, despite that, I, and, you know, it, it still kind of messed me up, but I remember how I felt hearing that my concepts, you know, were not relevant because my parents, y'all, my parents, my mother and my father, were not slaves. Yes, yes, you heard me correctly. There was an instructor who in a room full of people said, mm, I don't know about this concept because your parents were a state. Your parents weren't slaves. Like, why would you, you know, why would you find this important? And I don't know, maybe it was an innocent comment, but to say that in a room full of people, you know, about an honest interpretation of history, uh, I think it's a very ignorant comment. And I think that was especially uh, hurtful because this is a person who I'm sure that they identify as being a progressive, as being a progressive person. So, huh, you know, to read a book, you know, just to kind of bring it all together, like to read a book, you know, that was written by a white person, um, who understands and who has taken the time to understand, you know, that's super important to me. You take the time to understand and you write a book that challenges racial attitudes. Yes, it is super important to me that she's white. Uh, and that in no way is knocking, you know, any person of color who was contributing to um, a movement. Um, just come correct. I think that's essentially what I'm getting at. If you're going to come, come correct. You know, like you can't be out here discrediting people's experiences because it's not yours. I think I touched on that in a previous episode. Um, but yes, so this book, you know, it was helpful for me. I think it's a book that I'll continue to refer to. Um, I, I would suggest anybody, regardless of your racial background, just to read it you know, so that you can kind of understand where people are coming from, uh, but so that you can also frame your perception as well. Um, like I said, it's a book that I'll continue to read. It's not a long book at all. It's less than a, it's less than 200 pages. Um, but again, I'm not promoting this book. I'm just here to share with y'all. I'm just here to share with y'all uh, because I, I thought that the book was powerful. Ooh. <laughs> 
Oh my God. You know, as I'm recording this episode, I can like hear my commander in the back of my head. Like, oh, Kylie, no, I can't believe she got on there and talked about white people. But it's all good though. It's all good. No hate, no drama, just truth. I'm just on here sharing with y'all because that's my responsibility to share information, which is the premise for this entire podcast. So, you know, uh, if I offend you, you know, unpack that. Unpack that. Sit with that. Why are you offended? Are you offended because I'm, quote unquote, calling white people out? Like, I would call anybody out. You know, it is what it is, you know, like time is up. For ignorance like there, there is no room for ignorance and honestly you know a lot of the concepts that were presented in this book if we just being real you know you could easily talk about that in a workplace setting you could easily talk about that when you're having interpersonal um, dialogue you could easily talk about it and relate it you know to diversity inclusion there are so many different aspects with which it's really you know, knowledge of systemic racism and knowledge of people's cultures and backgrounds, it's its meant to be unpacked and it should be unpacked. But I think, again, the responsibility should be placed on the people who don't understand, which usually in, in, in most cases is white people. I think that's a, a fair assumption to make. But, you know, before I get off of here, though, I really just want to encourage you, if you're listening I really want to know what you all are thinking. I know I say that at the end of every episode, um, but I really want to know what your feedback is. What do you want to hear me talk about? You know, share your thoughts with me. I'm so serious. I'm so serious for real. I got a whole email set up just waiting for people to talk to me. Cornerstudio93 at gmail.com. Uh, I'm working on some other things. I'm going to be creating uh, a website here soon. So I'll post that. Um, more than likely with the next episode, but you know, the email is always there, cornerstudio93 at gmail.com. So, you know, as always, my lovely classic outro, go read a book, get out of denial and be humble. I will talk to y'all next week.